Ephesians 4.29, if you want to open your Bible there, that's kind of where we're going to be in that neighborhood. Friends of mine used to make light of an important question by asking, can a demon be Christian-possessed? By changing the order of the words, they were indicating their disdain for the real question people ask, can a Christian be demon-possessed? They thought it so obvious that the answer was no, that it was foolish to even ask the question. Now, let me be clear from the start. If you ask me, can a Christian be demon-possessed, my answer is no. So, don't, don't get confused. You might get confused as your mind wanders tonight. You know how when you're listening to the Bible study and your mind wanders and did Pastor Gene just say a Christian could be demon-possessed? No, he did not. More and more, however, it is becoming popular to say, yes, a Christian can be demon-possessed. In 1952, noted and respected scholar Merrill Unger wrote a book called Biblical Demonology. It was a classic. In that book, he concluded that a believer could not be demon-possessed. And that seemed to answer it for evangelicals. That was the go-to book on your shelf whenever you wanted to talk about that topic. Most people don't know this, but some 20 years later, Unger came to the opposite conclusion, mostly from reading letters sent to him from foreign missionaries. He visited some of those foreign fields, and then he claims to have encountered what he believed were genuine cases of Christians being possessed by demons right here in the United States. It was Unger's change of position that paved the way for the modern deliverance ministries that we have today. Now, this view received more credibility when the chairman of the theology department at Moody Bible Institute, C. Fred Dickerson, published a book setting forth a theological argument that Christians can, in fact, be demon-possessed. And so, it started to gain steam. He claimed to have been involved in counseling at least 400 believers between 1975 and 1987 who were, in fact, possessed. This new theology of Christian demon possession abandons the word possession. This is a very important point that they try to make. Possession, they say, does not occur in the original manuscripts and is therefore a poor English translation. They say there is no Greek word for possession and that the word in Greek is a single word better translated demonized. They want to ask, can a Christian be demon-possessed and answer the question, yes, they can. Now, I might agree with that uh, as far as the concept of demonized, except they go on from there to describe a demonized Christian exactly the same way we would describe a demon-possessed person. So while they may be right about the word, the end result is the same. One of the arguments they put forth for why we cannot be possessed uh, is that our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. The proponents of being demonized note that even though that's true, they say, well, look, we still have the flesh to contend with, and by that they hope to show that the Holy Spirit can and does coexist with something less than holy. True, we have our flesh, and we will until we go to be with Jesus, but the Holy Spirit coming to dwell within us is a whole lot different than a demon coming in to dwell with Him. It, it just, I don't know, it's apples and oranges if you ask me. I can understand that God would take up residence in us and begin to change us from glory to glory, uh, but it's different, you know, 
it's a completely different uh, mechanism to say that then a demon moves in as well. We see the violent reaction of demons to the presence of Jesus and what is holy. God does not have to flee, but demons do. The Scripture shows them in agony just being near Jesus. The same would be true of proximity to the Holy Spirit. So I just don't see them as roommates, I guess is the way I would put it. I don't see demons uh, sharing space with the Holy Spirit. Now, one scholarly proponent of this new way of looking at demonization, uh, one of the champions of it, he honestly admits, I like this, he says, and I quote, the epistles do not use the terms demonization or have a demon to describe a Christian. But then he goes on to say, but the concept is nevertheless present. So he admits that what he's talking about isn't directly taught, but he believes that he can prove that it's there nonetheless. I say it's not there. The Apostle Paul wrote prolifically on the subject of Satan and spiritual warfare. It is Paul primarily who lets us know that there are a group of demons subordinate to Satan, assisting him in his malevolence. In Ephesians chapter 6, he calls them principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Let me say one quick thing about those demons. While they are most likely organized, Paul's description isn't really meant to give you their ranks nor does he anywhere indicate we need to know anything about how they are organized in order to resist the devil and to defeat them. Uh, and, and so, um, we don't ever want to go farther than Scripture goes. And I've read a lot of studies, heard a lot of studies on those hierarchies and what they might mean and, you know, you know, sort of like a military hierarchy that, you know, Satan is the general and then he has his colonels and, you know, and his sergeants and his foot soldiers and all. Paul, those words really don't mean that. They're just different descriptions of malevolent beings. And so, we don't want to go any farther than Paul does. Something else we want to notice about Paul, while it is recorded of him that he personally confronted and cast out demons, he never gives any instruction about how to go about doing so. In other words, he knew folks could be demon-possessed, and he delivered them, but the Holy Spirit thought it best to not inspire Paul to even talk about it. We just see some examples of it in the book of Acts. If the writers of the New Testament letters, and Paul especially, did not warn of Christian demon possession or demonization, then it's most likely because a Christian cannot be demon-possessed or demonized in the way that these modern scholars say they can. Now, that's an argument from silence, but it's a pretty deafening silence, don't you think? I mean, if you and I as Christians can be demonized, we really need to know about it, and we know how to deal with it. Uh, but Paul and the boys say nothing about it. So apparently he didn't feel that it was a topic needing addressing. Now here's what Paul does say. Paul says we were once of darkness, but now we are light. Light always rules over darkness. Try bringing darkness into a room when the light is on. Only if there is no light there can there be darkness. Scripture never says that we can go on and off like a light switch. Now, having said all that, don't breathe a sigh of relief just yet because the devil is a vicious, evil foe, and he's not going to let you go your merry Christian way without a fight. If you are not careful and vigilant, he can and he will make rather significant inroads into your life. In fact, he can ruin your life, and he wants to. Paul did have this to say in Ephesians 4, 27, nor give place to the devil. Now, the word for place is topos, meaning a foothold. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. We sometimes speak of getting your foot in the door. 
we mean by it that we have a further opportunity to influence the person. This is <clears throat> kind of a caricature of salesmen who used to come to the door. I guess they still do, door-to-door -door salesmen. And if they could get their foot jammed in the door so you couldn't shut the door on them, maybe they could get in and pour dirt on your carpet and vacuum it with their Eureka vacuum cleaner and, and sell you a $9 million Eureka vacuum cleaner. Uh, and so they get, once they get their foot in the door, <clears throat> hey, listen, you know, if somebody ever, I, I'm just going to tell you this right now. This is, if, if anybody says something like this to you, and I, I apologize if, I'm, if somebody in here is doing sale, sales like this, but I feel like I have to say this. If anybody says to you, hey, I'm just getting started and I need to practice my sales pitch, do you mind if I come over and practice my sales pitch with you? And you feel like, well, sure, I want to, you know, help you do that. The next thing you do, you open the door, and they've got their district manager with them, and you've bought insurance three hours later or whatever it is they're selling. So just once they get their foot in the door, it's over, man. They influence you. They make you think you're going to die right then. But you can have this insurance right now or whatever it might be. Uh, and so this word foothold also has been understood by some to be a beachhead. It's like an invasion force landing on the beach trying to establish a base of operations from which to launch further incursions. It seems best to understand it as giving the devil an opportunity or a base of operations from which he will influence you. And so it's not demon possession, but it's not good either. Maybe an example would help. In fact, Paul gave several examples in the verses surrounding this word foothold. So let's start back up in verse 25 of Ephesians 4. He says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Now, it would seem that these are examples of giving the devil a foothold, meaning giving him opportunity to influence us. Since the devil is a liar, it's no surprise that if I lie, I give him a foothold in my life. The book, The Day Americans Told the Truth, says that 91% of those surveyed lie routinely about matters they consider trivial, 36% lie about important matters, 86% lie regularly to parents, I'd raise that, 75% to friends, 73% to siblings, and 69% to spouses, sadly. Uh, I don't know how old this study is, but we're, we're a nation of liars is what that says. We have a propensity towards lying. And so if we lie, Paul says, that gives the devil a foothold. He establishes a beachhead in your life to further influence you to lie more and more until that becomes a part of who you are. Anger is the second example Paul used. In the book of the Revelation, we read that the devil has great wrath. It's in chapter 12, verse 12. If we don't deal with anger, it gives the devil a foothold from which to uh, tear up and tear down our lives. 
He is, according to John 10, a thief. And so if I steal or embezzle or do these kinds of things, it gives him a foothold. It, it wears away my integrity and, and there are cracks in my character and it begins to become a problem. Corrupt speech is a specialty of Satan's. It's how he deceived Eve in the Garden of Eden. He tried to deceive Jesus in the wilderness with it. If I use corrupt speech, I'm giving the devil a beachhead. Now, this idea of the foothold or the beachhead, as I said, it's far from demon possession, but it is very serious. You could probably right now think of at least one Christian that you know who gave the devil some small foothold from which to influence them whose lives have subsequently been ruined by him. People, a lot of times, you know, you'll say, hey, what happened to so-and-so? And you'll say, well, you know, this is what happened. You say, man, where did that come from? All of a sudden, bam! Well, usually it's not all of a sudden. Usually it's a pattern of lying began in that person's life or a pattern of anger that went unresolved or a pattern of corrupt speaking. And these are just examples. It could be anything that, that would be sin in our lives that we give place to. As we give place to that sin, we're giving the devil some room in our lives to operate. He doesn't have to come in and possess us, and he doesn't possess us. He just is able to tempt us with it and ruin our lives. And this is how Christians' lives are ruined, uh, uh, you know, a little at a time. It's like, you know, it's like the work of a termite almost, you know. Termites, they get in there. I hate them. Every time... Every time a house gets tented in my neighborhood, oh, because all the termites do is they get together and they say, hey, we got to get out of here. And then they fly to the next house that needs to be tented. And they finally get to my house, you know. So, but, you know, it, you think, well, how much damage can they do until you break some hole in the wall and then you find out you don't have any wood under there, you know, kind of a thing. And so the devil, he just gets a little bit of a foothold. Sometimes it happens more rapidly than other times. But, you know, we, we know people. Some of us have had areas of our lives ruined in this way because we were not taking care the way Paul encourages us to. Um, those in the Christians can be demonized camp say that this foothold is, in fact, an example of the devil or a demon taking up residence in your life. They make a, a big argument about this, that it's a beachhead, a foothold, it's a place, not just an opportunity, they say, but one of the definitions of the word is that it's a place of operation. And so they, I don't know why they're so intent on proving that you can have a demon in you, uh, but, but it's very important for them. Uh, and so they argue this is a, a key word for them and a key concept. If all we had is the word itself uh, to look at, uh, then, then we'd have a, we, we might have to agree with them. And, and by the way, sometimes when you're reading, I, I know I do this, I am not, you probably understand I'm not a scholar at all, and I'm certainly not a Greek scholar. But I have learned this, that when people want to base something solely on the definition of a word from a language they don't really know, we have to be a little bit cautious. And so, yes, the word foothold can mean a place that you operate from. But here's, here's something. 
I say there, it's not talking about demonization or demon possession because Paul says the resolve for this isn't any kind of exorcism or deliverance ministry. So these guys want to say, oh, you give the devil a foothold in your life, now he's possessing that part of your life. Well, Paul says that's not true because the resolve for it isn't to be delivered from a demon. Paul says it's to simply quit lying and start telling the truth or quit being angry. How about you don't go to bed angry? or quit using corrupt speech. In other words, Paul says the resolve for it is to, to act differently. When Paul encountered a demon-possessed slave girl, he turned and looked at her and he cast the demon out of her. He didn't turn to her and say, quit deceiving people and just start telling the truth. He dealt with her as if she was demon-possessed. But when he's talking to Christians here in Ephesians, he doesn't cast out. He doesn't, he doesn't say if you're doing these things, you need to have demons cast out of you. You need a, a deliverance ministry. He says, hey, you need to put on Christ and make a decision to follow the Lord, to repent of your sin and to do what's right. The Christians he was talking to here in Ephesus were not demonized, and so foothold does not correspond to being demonized or demon-possessed. Concerning what Paul did say, one scholar put it this way. I like this. He said, when Paul wrote to his Christian readers, what he did relate to them was the importance of resistance and identity. For a Christian who gives in to the temptation to steal, for instance, Paul would urge the person simply to quit to resist. If this pilfering appetite fueled by Satan is left unchecked, it can lead to a greater measure of demonic influence in that individual's life. Behind such an injunction of refraining from a certain sinful behavior is the theology of identity. Christians not only have the obligation to eradicate such unseemly patterns of behavior, but they also have the ability to do so. This capacity to resist is an integral part of what it means to be a Christian, experiencing forgiveness, being on good terms with God, receiving a new nature, having a real oneness with the, with the resurrected Jesus experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit, and so much more. And so, to indicate that the problem, or we would have to say the sin, a Christian has is being caused by demonization, is to deny personal responsibility, and it might delay repentance and obedience. If I become convinced that I'm a liar because I'm demon-possessed, well, then I need to get rid of the demon. And, and, you know, in some circles they talk about the demon of lust or the demon of lying or the demon of whatever it might be, you know, the, the, as if they have specialties like that. And, and then what I need to do is cast out that. So, does that make sense to you? You know, it, Jesus, when He encountered demon-possessed people, Paul, when He can encounter demon-possessed people, He cast the demons out of them and then they were whole and in their right mind. But Paul, dealing with Christians, he says, now, Christian, quit lying and start telling the truth. And you know what, guy? You can do it. You can resist lying and you can do the right thing because you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you're identified as a Christian. You're in Christ. And so that's the resolve for it. Does Satan have some foothold in your life? Here's the application tonight. If he gets his foot in the door, he will establish a beachhead. He cannot possess you. 
but He can influence you, and He will if you let Him. Resist Him based on your identity in Jesus Christ because, after all, greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen? All right, praise the Lord.